Welcome to a special Pest Central limited series celebrating the 50th anniversary of integrated pest management. This collaborative effort focuses on the history and future of IPM in the North Central region and features university faculty and agency staff interviews from around the region. This work is supported by the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture and the North Central IPM Center. This podcast is edited and produced by Michigan State University Extension. MSU is an affirmative action equal opportunity employer. Michigan State University Extension programs and materials are open to all. Happy 50th anniversary, IPM, from the University of Minnesota. Uh, hello, this is Bob Wright. I'm a entomologist with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Extension IPM coordinator at UNL. I work in field crop entomology. And this series of podcasts is to commemorate the 50th anniversary of IPM being announced as a, a federal policy. And we've been talking the last, this, this podcast and the last one about the role that invasive insects have played in the development of IPM. And we're gonna focus on the soybean aphid in this podcast. And joining me is Anthony Hansen from the University of Minnesota. And he's gonna be talking about uh, some of the activities that led into the development of IPM programs for soybean aphid. So Anthony, you want to introduce yourself? Thanks, Bob. Yep. Uh, like you said, I'm uh, based out of the University of Minnesota. I am the IPM Extension uh, co-coordinator there and the field crop side of things. We also have Marissa Shu over on our horticulture side of things too. And primarily my training, I'm an entomologist. I cover all things IPM now in my extension role as an IPM educator, but I especially focus on the insects and I spent a lot of my time working on soybean aphid and seeing that basically start up in about, oh, about 2000 is when it showed up in Minnesota. And I was you know, back in high school then, but I still remember actually seeing at least either entomologists or some scouts coming out into fields randomly looking for soybean aphid. So that's kind of where I got my start a little bit on that one there. Okay. After the soybean aphid was first detected, uh, how did growers respond when it started showing up in higher numbers in Minnesota? Yeah, and that was a challenge and is a challenge for invasive species as a whole. That first year or two, especially when you start to notice you have a new problem insect or any invasive species, you have pretty limited options. Your toolbox is not really established yet. So for insects, a lot of times we're going to go to our broad spectrum insecticides. So in that case for soybean aphid, we'd be looking at organophosphates, pyrethroids, and so on. And early on, that's the challenge deciding, okay, when do you spray? Is it worthwhile? Are you actually getting a return on investment? And then that's that whole question of the economic threshold or economic injury level where that's going to establish. So early on in about the early 2000s, it was about 2003, 2004 and five and so on. There were multi-state uh, experiments going on in these fields where uh, University of Minnesota helped lead part of this, but it was about six states in total across the north central U.S. looking to see what amount of damage is correlating to the amount of yield 
just based on soybean aphid counts or cumulative aphid days. So this was you know, quite an undertaking a little bit here to look at that, but it was about 19 location years or field years, we call them. And so this paper was published at Ragsdale et al. 2007. So about seven years for that to officially be published at least, but that information was generated you know, within roughly a few years at least. So it was a pretty quick response, but before then, it definitely was the question of um, farmers growing out and spraying possibly on a schedule and not much rhyme or reason or connection to how much return on investment there was there. So that definitely helped on the insecticide side of things. But because we're talking about this through the IPM podcast, when we talk about economic thresholds, insecticides are not the only thing in the toolbox. So Bob, we do have a few others to talk about here as well, once we get past the insecticides that do wrap into this network of IPM for soybean aphid. And I just mentioned, uh, before we move on from insecticides, historically, we haven't had a lot of insects that needed regular insecticide use in soybeans. And so growers were not used to spraying insecticides and we didn't have a lot of tools for uh, economic thresholds. So this was a first from that guide point. But one of the problems when we use broad spectrum insecticides is that it suppresses biological controls and that can, that's an important uh, leg of IPM. So what was done to try to encourage and understand what's going on with biological control of the soybean aphid. Yeah, Bob, and that's a, another prong of our IPM program we have for soybean aphid currently. So while the research was going on looking at insecticides and economic thresholds, there was also work being done to see what were the natural enemies up to? Were they starting to at least attempt to control soybean aphid to some degree? Or could we import natural enemies from its native range, especially over in China? And I remember working with uh, Dr. George Heipel, who's at the University of Minnesota, and uh, some projects way back in about you know, early or rather late 2000s. And Binodoxus communis was one parasitoid wasp that was imported over, uh, basically put into quarantine facilities to see if it was going to affect any other non-target insects, and at least at the time was approved. However, that did not manage to control soybean aphid. It seems like it didn't overwinter as well here in Minnesota. But over time, there are other species that were looked at too. And eventually, in recent years, we've seen Aphelinus certus populations uh, take off quite a bit. Now, this is actually an accidental introduction. It's not known exactly how it made its way to the U.S., but it seems to be showing up in pretty high numbers for controlling soybean aphid to some degree. And another natural enemy I will mention are lady beetles. They come up a lot in conversation. Uh, the Asian lady beetle especially was not introduced here to control soybean aphid. It was already in the U.S. Uh, decades prior, but just so happened to actually do pretty well in soybean aphids. So that's why we see pretty high numbers in our soybean plants. But this gets to your question, Bob, of our natural enemies in the soybean fields. They tend to be susceptible to our broad spectrum insecticides. So if we spray too early, we do run the risk of wiping out our natural enemies or specifically reducing the populations. And then we lose that control that holds the populations down to some degree. So it can be a bit of a treadmill if we are overusing our insecticides because we knock out one of our other tools to some degree. I guess we don't know exactly what uh, is causing this, but the last several years we haven't had as widespread uh, soybean aphid populations in the Midwest. Some people speculate it's because 
some of the uh, native natural enemies as well as introduced introduced natural enemies have have built up and helped suppress uh, soybean aphids. But uh, the other major effort we have relative to IPM is plant resistance, and that's also as a long-term effort to develop plant resistance and get it commercialized. Uh, but can you tell us about uh, what was done with plant resistance research? Yeah, this is actually a subject that's a little more near and dear to my heart because I spent most of my PhD dissertation working on host plant resistance. So if you think about back to 2000, when soybean aphid first showed up in the U.S., the first paper or one of the main ones that came out was Hill et al. in 2004. So it was really a short turnaround time to find initial uh, plant introductions that had some resistance to soybean aphid. However, like you mentioned, this is a long-term project working with crop reading. So it takes quite a while to take a line that you have resistance in and try to cross it into existing, existing high-yielding varieties. In many of these cases, these are lines that were found again over in the native range in China and other parts of Asia. And some of these may not necessarily have been suited for our agronomic uses in the U.S. So there's been some slow uptake of these traits. But I do remember in about 2009, 2010, there were a couple traits out there that we could use uh, for our fields. Uh, they're called RAG genes, RAG1 especially. But it's been harder and harder to find those on the market lately. So there is some work going on on the university side of things to get some of these uh, basically pyramided traits in RAG1 plus RAG2 and a few other genes like that, as well as some other traits, say, like for herbicide resistance. So there are public varieties in the pipeline that should be available either to growers as part of their um, university's seed program or to possibly license those out into indus industry lines that could eventually work their way in. So we're hoping to see those traits out there later. But the main thing with host plant resistance is that it does reduce the pressure on our insecticide use. So if we can reduce that, not only is it a little friendlier for our natural enemies that tend not to be affected by host plant resistance, but it also does help with our insecticide resistance issues too, which have popped up for soybean aphid. So you can start to see just how for one you know, fairly recent species here, soybean aphid, uh, even though it's been 20 years now, this is a modern example of how IPM works, where we have this network of multiple control tactics, and they do have interactions between each other. So it's uh, definitely something where when we have all these tools working together, we can you know, try to make sure that one of the tools is less likely to fail or have issues in a specific year. And that it's also helping out the growers too, where it's hopefully a little less worry if we have multiple tactics in play. If you only have one, then you're having to really watch and make sure that you're getting that one tactic uh, uh, used correctly. But then there's that high chance of failure too for insecticide resistance we mentioned. So it's definitely an interesting case for how IPM works in the modern day. And I guess it also points out to the need for continued research as we have challenges come up like insecticide resistance or uh, insecticides available on the market change over time as well. I, I, before we end, I wanted to mention one, one issue is that uh, we made relatively rapid progress and had involvement of multiple states in part because we got very good support from the commodity boards, uh, particularly the North Central Soybean Research Program, as well as 
the soybean commodity boards in individual states, and then as well as funding from USDA NEFA. Uh, some some of the competitive grants take longer to get, but oftentimes uh, the commodity boards can respond quickly to a, a problem that, sh- that shows up. Yeah, for soybean aphid, that continues to be our you know, main pest we still keep an eye out for in Minnesota. But when we talk about new invasive pests coming in, one of the new ones that's in the works right now is soybean gall midge and how do we deal with that? And that's one that's still very much a work in progress, but a good example of how these IPM teams across states work together when we have issues like this come up. And for Minnesota, where can people find out more information about IPM? In general, ours is split up on the University of Minnesota Extension website, generally by crop, but we will have information on diseases, insects, and weed control, basically split up by crop. So if you look up University of Minnesota Extension, you'll be able to find our information throughout the whole website. Okay, and for University of Nebraska, our crop IPM information is at the cropwatch.unl.edu website that has current information on uh, entomology, plant pathology, and weed science. On that note, Bob, too, I should mention our Minnesota Crop News blog. And this is one where usually individual educators will post their own articles, usually timely things they're seeing out in the field. And in this case, I do tend to have you know, IPM updates on there, whether it's soybean aphid, alfalfa weevil, or other insects of interest, especially. So these blog setups are a good way for uh, information to get out there to growers in a more timely manner. Okay, thank you. Yep, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for joining us to celebrate the 50th anniversary of integrated pest management. Check the show notes for resources mentioned in this podcast and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.